ask a question this morning. Who taught you how to pray? I mean, if you were just to jot it down right now, who taught you how to pray? Who would it be? Now, some of you would very likely say, well, it's my mom. You know, we would have bedtime prayers before we went to sleep at night. Uh, I did not grow up in that tradition. Uh, I remember going and staying one time at my cousin's house and spending the night. And right before we went to bed, uh, his mother came in the room and said, All right, time for bedtime prayers. And I was kind of surprised because I had never experienced that. Uh, I appreciate so much that uh, uh, my grandchildren are learning how to say bedtime prayers. Or perhaps you were like me, I learned how to pray around the dinner table. Uh, every time we came together, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we would pray. And so Dad would usually lead that prayer, but as uh, those of us who were boys were kind of growing up, we would learn how to lead prayer for the food. And I still remember the prayer, the first prayer I learned. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. In Jesus' name. And, and you're like, really? That was, that was the first one. And then there were, of course, our Sunday school teachers. I, I think back to Sunday school teachers, and, and while I don't remember all of them, I remember some of them. In the fifth grade, I still remember a teacher who would allow us to have a chain prayer in our room. And so all of us would, would pray as a part of a chain prayer. And of course, we would listen to others, and, and we would kind of figure out how to pray by listening to how others pray. But learning how to pray is important. And you know, you let me listen to someone's prayer for a while, and, and I'll tell you, you know, what influences there have been upon his or her life when it comes to the subject of prayer. Now, if you're like me, my prayers are pretty routine. Uh, June and I, as a couple, pray in the mornings before we uh, leave to go to work or whatever we're doing for the day. We'll begin with a scripture reading. We, I've I, I told people recently... I decided for some reason recently to, uh, for us in our Bible uh, study together, to read the book of Jeremiah. Now, if you know anything about Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And let me just tell you that if you uh, want to be discouraged, you can either read the newspaper, watch CNN and Fox News, or you can read the book of Jeremiah. I mean, the book of Jeremiah has got to be the most discouraging book in the Bible. And so right now, we're reading the book of Jeremiah. And now I have to be honest with you. I get through reading it and I go, well, you know what? It's not so bad right now. I mean, boy, they had it terrible. But then we pray together as a couple. You know, our prayers are usually very routine. We pray the same things over and over again. Which is quite interesting for our text today coming out of Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, a text that we call the Lord's Prayer, sometimes called the Model Prayer. And it's one of those texts, very much like what John Micah did last week in John 3.16. You know, John 3.16, almost everyone knows it. Whether you go to church or not, you've heard of John 3.16. And the same is true of the Lord's Prayer. Whether you're a religious person or not, a believer or not, you've probably heard, been exposed to the Lord's Prayer because it's kind of the standard prayer, Christian prayer, in the United States of America. And, and you know, if I were to start it, nearly everyone in here could easily join in. 
Now, I learned it from the King James Version of the Bible. And so when I say it, I say it from the King James. It's kind of like John 3.16. You know, I learned it from the King James, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Most translations now say one and only Son. And so I kind of divert back to the King James. But the Lord's Prayer is a very simple prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, how will be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive our debts. Now, sometimes we have the word trespass there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I wanted to know which one was original. In other words, which one was the original King James Version. And so I went and looked up the 1611 version of the King James and its debts. Forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, here's what's interesting about that prayer. If you look at a more modern translation, here's the NIV, you'll see that it's short. Notice again, here's the King James Version. Here's the NIV. And what you'll notice is that in the NIV, you'll notice that verse 13 is much shorter than in the King James Version. And so sometimes people ask, why are more modern translations shorter in the prayer? And the answer to that question comes from the fact that the King James was translated 409 years ago. I want you to think about that. 1611 is when the King James Version came out. Now, when it was translated, it was the best translation available at the time. There had been a multitude of translations that had been coming out, and King James of England wanted a translation that would kind of unite the, the United Kingdom. He wanted to bring everybody together, and he thought that a common translation would do that. And so he authorized the King James Version's translation. Now, at the time, it was by far the best out there. But here's something you need to remember. It was 1611. I want you to imagine for a second if you went to a doctor and, and you noticed that up on the wall was, you know, their, their medical license, the school that they graduated from, and you noticed that they graduated in 1611. I don't know about you, but I would think, uh-oh, we got leeches, we got bleeding, we got, we've got probably some techniques that need to be modernized. Or, or imagine going to a dentist who, who graduated in 1611 from dental school. You know, I'm not opening my mouth to that dentist. And all I'm saying is this, while the King James was the best there was when it was translated, we made a lot of advancements. And, and we discovered a lot of more ancient manuscripts, and so we know closer to what the writers of the New Testament actually wrote. And what we discover is that here in verse 13, that, that this in the NIV is how the text was originally written by Matthew. Now you go, and what, what happened to King James? How did they have that longer text? And you know, we call that longer text the doxology. For thine is the power, the kingdom, and the glory forever. Amen. That's the doxology. And very likely, scholars tell us that what happened is that monks, as they were copying the scriptures, would come to the Lord's Prayer, which had become a standardized 
prayer for Christians is literally all over the world. And so they had added to that prayer this doxology, and very likely a monk, as he was copying it, wrote the doxology in the margin. You know, kind of as an ending. Here's the proper ending. For instance, if you've noticed in this one, notice what's wrong with the prayer? What's wrong with the prayer is there's no stamp on it. Now, y'all go, what do you mean no stamp on it? I don't know about you, but I grew up that if you didn't say in Jesus' name, amen, God didn't hear it. You had to put a stamp on the prayer. You know. And, and, and there's no amen here. And so very likely this doxology was put in the margin. And then the next person to come along to copy that manuscript saw it in the margin and thought, uh-oh, someone left it out. And so they didn't insert it in the text. And that's how it's come down to us in the King James Version of the Bible. And so the King James Version is a little bit longer in its prayer because it includes the doxology. There's one other thing I want to mention about growing up, especially with the King James Version and in Churches of Christ. I was taught as a kid growing up quite calm. Maybe you never experienced this, but I know I did, and perhaps a few of you did, and I want to, I want to change the way perhaps some of us think. I was taught that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that as Christians today we shouldn't pray. And the reason that was the case is because of the verse 10, your kingdom come. And I was taught that the kingdom had already come. That it had come in the form of the church on the day of Pentecost. And so to pray for the kingdom to come was simply pray something that was no longer valid. And so because of that, I was discouraged as a child growing up in the church of praying the Lord's Prayer. But as we will look today, I hope you, you'll notice that that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, is so much bigger than just the establishment of the church the day of Pentecost. Not only is this a prayer that we ought to be praying, it's a prayer that should be the very cornerstone of our prayer lives. Now, the reason that this prayer is found in Matthew 6 is that Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes to a portion of this particular sermon in which he wants to address how we worship in public. And notice this statement here. Do be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Have you ever seen anyone do that? Of them practicing their spiritual disciplines, their righteousness. This could be everything from giving to praying to singing. But being done to be seen by others. I, I still remember my dear friend Ricky when he was asked to lead opening prayer on Sunday night when he was in the ninth grade. And Ricky had never left opening prayer. And so he got up that night, and I still remember, he came up front, and he said, let us pray. And then all at once, Ricky's voice changed. I mean, it became this deep male voice, not the voice of a ninth grader in high school, but this, our Father, which art in heaven. And he started to look using words I'd never heard Ricky use. And I'm sitting there asking myself as he's praying, is he praying to be heard by God or to be heard by us? You know. Now, he did not pray. I did. I made the same mistakes in my life. But sometimes we do things just to be seen or just to be heard. And that was one of the things that Jesus saw in the first century. The Pharisees, for instance, were notorious about praying. And they would have their you know, long robes. Here's, I think, a beautiful picture of it. And they would have these 
boxes on their head called phylacteries that would have little Bible verses written in them. And they loved either at the temple or on the way to the synagogue to have to stop for the air hour of prayer. See, Jews prayed three times a day. They prayed at 9 in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, and then about 20 minutes after sunset. And so they would get caught on the way to the synagogue, and so they would just stop where they were and start praying out loud with their hands lifted to heaven. And Jesus says, you don't know how many times I've watched people pray, and they're kind of doing this right here while they're praying, making sure people are watching. And Jesus said, if you're praying, just be seen by men. You have no reward from your heavenly Father. He then turns to the Gentiles, and he says, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. You know, the pagans, those who worship other gods, because they keep on babbling. I mean, they go on and on and on and on, as if their many words are going to make their God somehow hear them. Now, all of us have been at services like that, haven't we? Where a dear brother who would be announced to lead prayer, and, and whenever we would say, you know, brother so-and-so lead us in prayer this morning, we'd all let out a groan because we knew we'd be here for the next 15 minutes. You know, I, I still remember a dear, dear friend of mine at a funeral service where a brother led a prayer, and I think the prayer went for 20, 25 minutes. And she came up to me afterwards, and she said, I am so sorry, but you know what, I, I, I think I fell asleep during the prayer. I mean, sometimes we just go on and on. Here's Jesus saying, listen, now obviously there are times when prayers need to go on and on and on. But if it's just being done as if maybe if I pray enough, God will hear me. Jesus said, that's not the way to pray. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. And then here's what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. And what Jesus does is teaches us how to pray. Now, here's what's important to think about. I want to challenge you right here for a moment. Why did Jesus give us the prayer the way we have it today? What was it about what was going on in Jesus' mind that he says, here's the phrases, here's the topics that you need to address in your prayer? And here's what I want to suggest to you this morning, is that in many ways, the Lord's Prayer is an incredible description of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's only recently that I came across this concept, and when, when I saw it, I thought, that's exactly what's going on. In other words, why did Jesus teach us to pray this way? And the answer is, is that when we pray this way, we're simply rehearsing in our minds what Jesus did in His life and during His ministry. In other words, look at the text. He begins with a very simple phrase, Our Father. Now, we see that and we simply go, okay, He, he prayed to God as Father. We all do that. They didn't in the first century. In fact, this phrase, Father, is actually the Aramaic word, Abba. Abba is a very special word in Aramaic. I've got a one-year-old grandson. Uh, his name is Garrett. Uh, Jude and I were with him uh, earlier this week. We all got together last Sunday night through Wednesday for one last get-together as a family before school started. But Garrett is just a little over a year old. And, and Garrett right now is learning how to say dad, dad. And of course the funniest thing is when his mother say, says to him, say mama, 
And Garrett says, Dada, and say, Mama, Dada, say, Mama, Dada. You know, he gets louder and louder. We've got a videotape that's absolutely precious because he won't say Mama, but he says Dada. And, and can I just tell you that my youngest son, when he hears that, he just melts his heart. There's nothing more precious in the world. By the way, he also knows how to say Gigi, which is June's name. June goes by the name as a grandmother, Gigi. And I go by the name Pops, and so I say to him, say Pops, and he says Gigi. You know, I'm like, great. I know how his mother feels. You know, it's a very intimate word, very precious word. And I want you to notice what happened when Jesus used it. This is from John chapter 5. My father, there he is, my father, my Abba, is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. I want y'all to look at that. He referred to God as Father, and they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father. You see, in the first century, you didn't call God Father. Because if you call God Father, that was the same as making you equal with God, which, of course, Jesus wants. But it was more than that. It was inviting you into this intimate relationship with God again, which Jesus invites us into. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Paul, many, many years later, would say, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. He says, listen, we have one of two relationships with God. We're either a slave, which is based on fear, or we are a son because we've been adopted. And notice what Paul says. He says, for by Him we cry, Abba, Father. We, we pray the same way Jesus prayed. Why? Because we've been invited into His family, into that intimate relationship with the Father that Jesus has literally experienced since all of eternity. So as this prayer begins, you see Jesus saying to us, Can I invite you into what I already have? And then He says, I will be your name. Wow. John, again, chapter 12, how Jesus says he's going to Jerusalem to die. And notice what he says, my, now my soul is troubling. Why shall I say, Father, there's that word again, Abba, save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. And then look at what he says in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. And the Father speaks from heaven. He said, it sounded like thunder. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. You see, Jesus is concerned that he honors God in everything that he does. When he says, hallowed be your name, he simply means, may I honor who you are as my father. I mentioned my family. Uh, my two, I've got two boys, you and I do. And, uh, when they were teenagers, every time they would leave the house, we would remind them of a couple of things. And one of them was this. We would say, remember who you are and remember whose you are. The who was your Chapman. Don't bring embarrassment on that name. And the who's you are is you belong to God. Because both of them had been baptized into Christ. And, and we were basically, Jude and I were saying to them, listen, you, you need to honor both your family name, but your Heavenly Father's name as well. Don't bring reproach 
own either one of them. And that's what Jesus said. And in that phrase that a lot of us struggle with, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does he mean by that? Does he mean, Lord, send your church? Well, of course he means that. But he means so much more than that. The phrase out of Isaiah 52, which comes right before 53, the great, you know, uh, kind of suffering psalm of Isaiah that we looked at a few weeks ago. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And that's what that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, is all about. It's about God reigning in people's lives. He is becoming king over all of creation. And it begins with your life. And it begins with my life. And that's why we can still pray that. Here's what John said in Revelation. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Messiah. And He will reign forever and ever. In other words, what's our job? Our job right now is to bring the reign of God into the lives of people through the power of the gospel. So can we pray it? We must pray. Pray it. And then give us today our daily bread. Jesus was all about that. When he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000, when he said in John chapter 5, I am the bread of life. Jesus not only gives us the bread that nourishes our physical bodies, but he gives us the bread that nourishes our souls. And we need that bread every day. And then I love what he says here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, that, that's what Jesus was all about. was the forgiveness of sin. Jeremiah had said in the New Covenant, God will forgive their wickedness, will remember their sins no more. And what's fascinating is when Jesus came, you see him right off the bat beginning to inaugurate this New Covenant. You see, it's no longer to the temple that you've got to go. It's no longer sacrifices that you've got to make. Instead, it's Jesus that you turn to. You have a story in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark both tell it of a man who's lured down through a roof to a paralytic. And, and, and of course, he's come there to be able to walk. But when Jesus sees him, he turns to him and says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Because that's why we really need. While, yes, we need to be able to walk physically, we need to be able to live spiritually. And that comes through the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is very simple. We forgive others so that God will forgive us. When He issued the Lord's Supper, and, and a few moments ago as we gathered around the table, one of the things that He said about that cup that we drank is that it's the blood of the covenant which is poured out for us. For the forgiveness of sins. And then we get to the end. And lead us not into temptation. Now unfortunately that's not the best translation. That word temptation is not the typical word for temptation. If you know the book of James, you know that God doesn't tempt anyone. We're tempted when we're drawn off by our own lust and the temptations of Satan and his power. But that word temptation literally means, this is from the complete Jewish Bible, and do not lead us into hard testing. The Greek word is presma. It is a word that, that was used to describe what Jesus went through when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Stay awake and pray that you will not be put to the test, he says to Peter, James, and John. That word test there is that same word in the Greek. 
Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to go through this difficult moment. I love what 1 Corinthians 10 13 says. And I've got NIV up here. This is actually the Passion Translation. But notice what Paul says. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God is faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity of nature and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. Paul says, listen, pray that God is there and each test is an opportunity to trust Him more for along with every trial God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. So we pray, Father, don't let us be tested beyond what we can bear. And Paul says that God's promise is He won't. And then he says, but deliver us from the evil. Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, the elders, this is in the garden of Gethsemane. I'm not leading a rebellion. You come with swords and clubs. Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. I love what Luke, excuse me, what John does in his gospel. He then tells how that Jesus turns to all of these people who have come out to arrest him. And says, I told you that I am Peter. If you're looking for me, then let these go. Let Peter and James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, and Thomas and Matthew, let these guys go. And you know that's what Jesus says to all of us. He goes to the cross. And he says, I'm the one you're looking for. Now let all of these go. Set us free. It's the Lord's prayer. Uh, we're, we're not going to have an invitation song. We, we're not doing that because of social distancing. But if there's a need that you have, then at any time, please give me a call. Give one of our elders a call. Mike Ryan's here up here at the top. Uh, any of our elders would love to pray with you or talk to you about any need that you have. But to conclude our service today, I'm simply going to ask everyone, let's stand and let's say together the Lord's Prayer. Would you please do this this time? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.